back to Thessalonica to find out their well-being and what happened. And he knows the persecutions uh, rose up here against these believers. Timothy brings back word, and he's so excited to see how the Lord has established them, how these guys are going on strong in their faith. And there was three things in verse 13 we looked at this morning at the end that characterizes this assembly and should characterize every assembly in every Christian's life. And that is, Paul would say, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. This is almost an outline, and I could take you through each chapter, and we can look at different aspects of where this characterized this assembly. This characterized them, and it went out, and they became a model and example to all of the churches around the area, that they heard of how they were going on, and their conversion was real. And now the Holy Spirit saved them, and they went on in power and testified and had a love for one another. It's a tremendous testimony. As well, where else is these three uh, essentials of the faith found? But in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So this characterized this young assembly, and I'm estimating, and I have no uh, credentials to estimate, but otherwise, other than they say maybe the assembly's two, three years old at this time when she's writing to them. Very young assembly, yet you, we're going to see the, the, the doctrines in which Paul taught them. He didn't hold back to teach them the whole counsel of God. He didn't hold back to instruct them in the way of righteousness. And in this letter here, he's going to now bring up uh, some issues that he'll go along that, that have arisen in the assembly as far as certain ones are attacking Paul and the mere fact that did Paul truly care for you? Did Paul, was he there for his own selfish gains or did he truly loved them. And Paul's going to establish within them in chapters 2 and 3 and that he truly did care for them. And as well, in 4 and 5, he's going to go on and correct some of the issues that they had uh, with sexual immorality as well as uh, their, their views of the return of the Lord, the rapture, um, as well as some disorderly brethren that, that are not working and so forth. So I'll leave those for the guys that, that come along and they can plug in more of the historical aspects and so forth to correlate it. Um, so we got to move along here. So we're going to start in verse 1 and, and briefly get through to verse 5, in which we, we covered the first few verses briefly this morning. But Paul is the writer of this letter, and he's in Corinth right now, and Timothy has brought back word of this assembly. So he's penning this letter, and he's going to send it out to the church of Thessalonica. And Silas is with him as well as Timothy, and they were both in Thessalonica when they... Uh, we're evangelizing the city. It says, To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice in the very early stage of the church, they're placing equality between the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ on the same sentence. It's an establishment within the church that it is um, a doctrine that is taught by the Apostle Paul and that is accepted is that both the Father and the Son are both God, and the equality is there in which they would place this church in God the Father. And this is a unique thing for Thessa, 
the book of the letter to the Thessalonians is that they would place in God the Father. Usually it's just in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're associating this assembly and all the blessings that flow through it in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a tremendous blessing in which we stand here at Claremont Bible Chapel. And this assembly is that we stand, not on our own merit, but we stand in the comfort and in the protection and in the well-being of the Father and of the Son. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the church. He gave himself for the church. And he's there feeding or nourishing the body in which the Lord Jesus is the head of this body. Then he goes on to say, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is that unmerited love and favor of God in which he bestows upon us, in which salvation is not something that we earn. Salvation in the favor of God is not something that I can earn within my own merit, my good works, but it's something that comes from God and is, uh, and is applied to us through faith. That at the time of salvation, we are saved by grace. And it's through faith in which we receive this grace that comes into our life. And once this grace that we cease from trying to earn God's favor, we cease from trying to earn our salvation. And we trust the living God, and this peace comes from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. This peace that I have rest in my salvation. I no longer got to work my way to heaven. I no longer got to hope to attain God's favor. But you have peace that the work is finished in the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross of Calvary for us. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, and in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Paul is going to go on to continue to pray for these Thessalonians. And you'll find out as we go through the letter more and more that he is truly caring for these individuals, a genuine care. And he's going to pray for them night and day. See, when he left, he left, he didn't know what their state was. He didn't know if the persecution came in and they all, uh, his labor was in vain and they all scattered and gave up on the faith. Or were they standing strong in the persecution that arose uh, amongst the church? But he's so thrilled to hear that they're going on in their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope, and it's because of his prayers. How often do we come in contact with an individual and we, we, we give them a scripture verse or, or we share the gospel with them or we give them a word of encouragement or something that we think, oh, I, I've done my work, I'm done. I've done my part, and you, you move on. We should be like the Apostle Paul and you continue to pray and pray and water those seeds with prayer so that the Lord continues to work mightily. And then when we hear of what the Lord has done, we can rejoice in it, that we labor amongst uh, it. And in the work, it may not be that the Apostle Paul, he wasn't able to go to Thessalonica and to, and, to, and to minister to the believers there, but he could pray. And that's what he would do, is he'd continue in prayer for these believers and lifting them up. And you see the, the, the effective works of his prayers is that these believers are going to be an example and a testimony to all those that are around. And when God does a work, he does a work, and he establishes that work, and he carries it on. That it's not dependent upon Paul, it's not dependent upon some man, it's not dependent upon human reasoning, or anything else that we can come up with our clever ideas. 
is that the power of the gospel goes out and it's effective and it works. And God is responsible for following up and carrying on. A lot of times we think of, uh, and our brother Russ shares, of those individuals that get saved on the pier. And from my standpoint, from a human reasoning, I'd be like, we got to follow up. we got to make sure they're okay. i got to get my busybody involved in their life because I think I can carry them along. But see, the reality is, is God has it all covered. He's already working in their lives. He's divinely brought them to the pier to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been working in their life mightily already. So it's just a mirror of having um, a person come along and lead them to the Lord, such as our brother Russ does. They get saved, and the Lord's already working. He's going to lead them to the next spot. But it doesn't mean we give up on prayer. It doesn't mean we stop praying for them. And it's amazing the testimony that you see as people go on and, and, and time goes on and, and you, you catch up to these people later on that you might have had a part in sharing the gospel or in some aspect and you find out how the Lord has worked mightily in their life. We had one individual that got saved here years ago. I had the privilege of leading to the Lord and he ended up leaving. And for years I didn't hear what happened to him. You don't know, you just think and I'm not like the Apostle Paul. I didn't continue praying for him. I'd go on with my life, and, and he's out of sight, out of mind, and that's to my shame. I should have had him on my list praying for him. Years later, you hear that he's gone on for the Lord. You hear he's gone on and done great things. We had a, one of my sister's uh, boyfriends, uh, Wayne, who came to our assembly for years. He, he listened to the gospel. He, 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 he eventually made a profession of faith. But at the time, then he and my sister broke up. He went away. And we're like, yeah, he, he was, uh, I don't know if he really got saved or what happened to him. So he just went his way. He wasn't right for my sister. Off he goes. Years later, we received a letter from him and how he did get saved. And he's going on for the Lord. And he's doing things for the Lord. And we had no idea. But the Lord is working behind the scenes in all these aspects. The reason why I bring this up is because we can rest assured. If you're, if you're uh, um, like me, forgetful, you don't know the right words to say. You don't know what to do. You've got to understand God has it all worked out. He's working behind the scenes better than anything I can ever say or do or think of. You know, I, used to, uh, I have a little saying that a lot of times people debate how you lead someone to the Lord, what do they need to know, so on and so forth. I said, if it's up to me to lead him to the Lord, they wouldn't get saved. I'd forget something. I, I, I would Somehow I would screw it up. But the Lord knows the heart. And the Holy Spirit is working in the people's lives and drawing them unto the Lord. And the, and the Lord's doing a mighty work. And this is what happened in Thessalonica is that when the Apostle Paul came through and he had that vision in Troas that there's people in Macedonia to get saved. And Paul says, I'll go. The Lord had people to save. And I mentioned this morning, how many times do you have missionaries that are called to a land or someone would go and they show up and these people there say we pray to the true and living God that you would reveal yourself to us and you show up brothers and sisters the Lord wants to use weak vessels such as us and he will work mightily within us because he is at work and he is behind the scenes drawing and doing the work we can't change hearts we can come up with the most clever arguments. We can come up with the, whatever it might be. We're not going to save people. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in his glory, when he's revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts the person and shows them the need for a savior, that they are a sinner separated from a holy, righteous God, and that Jesus Christ paid for it all on the cross of Calvary and three days later rose from the grave. And when the Holy Spirit reveals this to them in their, their darkness and the light of the glorious gospel shines on them, and, and that, that illumination, that aha, that moment that they realize that they're a sinner and Jesus paid it all. And in that moment, they repent and come back to the Lord. The evangelist, the, the, the person that's testifying of the good news of this gospel is just a means. The Lord uses to draw them unto themself, himself. And he has placed us with that responsibility as ambassadors for Christ. What a tremendous privilege we have as brothers and sisters in the Lord. To be ambassadors, to be representatives for Christ, and to go out there and preach the gospel. Verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Today's day and time in our churches, you mention election and you end up with controversy. You end up with, with differences of opinions. You end up with uh, strife and, and men trying to uh, implore their views upon what they believe election is. Here the Apostle Paul in this young assembly taught it. And I want you to think of election, not in the sense of a controversial thing, but a sense of comfort, is that you are chosen by God. You are placed in Christ, secure, belonging to God, and nobody's ever going to take you out of that position. You are secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would add here, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God is that you are loved and chosen by God, and you're never going to be moved out of that position. Look at me. Look with me real quick at Ephesians chapter one. We don't have time to get into it, but we're going to look at it real briefly to give you the comfort that it would bring these um, Thessalonian believers in this time of persecution, and this time of trials and tribulation, and everything that's going on. <clears throat> this term election is a is a. a a term that we should embrace and not shy away from and not treat as if it's a contentious verse or a contentious word, but it's a scriptural one. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. <clears throat> Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him and love. Look at verse 4, and I want you to look at the actual wording of what this verse declares. Notice it doesn't say, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world. A lot of people are going to, this is the way they recite the verses. They'll say, he chose us before the foundation of the world, therefore he chose me and didn't choose somebody else, and this is the sovereign choice by God to choose somebody. And this is where we get into the Calvinism. But look at verse 4 and what it actually says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You see, it's the in him that needs to be stressed and not the choosing of us before the foundation. Because what we want to do is we want to always look at us in this verse. And we're missing the in him. And if you look at the book of Ephesians chapter 1 here, how many times it says in him, 
in Christ is our position in which we have. And see, he has chosen us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. So really, the Lord Jesus Christ is the elect one that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So if you are in Christ, you are a chosen elect one. Now let's make sense of this a little bit more. So we go into the Old Testament. And one of the things they like to say is they look, they chose Israel over all the other nations, correct? No. It says that in the scriptures, you're right. But I'm tricking you, I'm sorry. So God would say, I chose you amongst all the other nations. But what did God really choose? A person. He chose Abraham. And he says, in you, in Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. Everyone's going to be blessed through you. And I'm going to make a great nation out of you. So if you're of the seed of Abraham, you're born into this nation, you are the elect of God, you are the chosen of God in this nation. And we can get into other verses, but later on, those that are in Israel, that are Jews, that are of the seed of Abraham, are the chosen ones, and they can say, yeah, I'm chosen by God. Well, did God choose him over the Egyptians? No, God chose Abraham. And the same way he chose Christ, and all those that are in Christ are secure in this. And see, this is a position in which we rest in. And it's interesting, you even follow through the book of, uh, of uh, Exodus and, and the law, and on the Day of Atonement, you would think in Leviticus, all the Israelites there, they give the offering. It actually says there that uh, for that day, if you don't repent and confess your sins on that Day of Atonement, then th this atonement's not for you. It's not applied to you. So you see, within the nation, even within the, 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 the seed of Abraham, you can even be cut out from being the elect of God within that. And they still must believe in God. But this is sidetracked, separate story. But, um, but to think of the election of God is that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And this is where we stand in him, holy, without blame, in love. And it's a tremendous uh, picture in which you see that these Thessalonian believers are going to be comforted. And I wish you had time to get into more, but um, that's the Reader's Digest version, the real short version. But if you have more questions, we can talk about it further after meeting or any other time. But election, don't think of it as a negative thing. It's a positive thing, and it's something that is meant to give us encouragement, to, to establish us, and to know that we are immovable in Christ. And that it's not only that we know Christ, but that Christ knows us and that we are in the family of God and we are chosen by God. This salvation came by God. It wasn't us that came up with the idea. If it was up to us, we would rebel. We would never come to God. We would uh, um, stay in our darkness. But he loved us first. And then we came and responded when the gospel shined forth on us. So that leaves us to verse 5. And um, Sorry I talked fast. I, we, we, we rushed through a lot of this stuff. But I want to get on to the second half of the chapter and look at it. So at this time, we're going to ask Logan to come up, and he's going to cover uh, the next few verses for us. So this is something we want to encourage our young men to get up and, and share. So we'll let him come and uh, share a few minutes. Well, good evening. 
Uh, Dad has been asking me to share a message with him for quite some time, and I've said no, no, no. And uh, the reason being is because I, I don't like public speaking. I get uh, very anxious, as many people probably do, but uh, my heart rate um, accelerates times 100, and uh, my breathing slows down. So <laughs> I came to realize that it is something that I can consider the, uh, a gift from God, because I already consider my, I can't do this. So I, now I can think, well, the Lord can use me, and he's already going to speak through me to uh, display this uh, message to you. So we have verse 5, and verse 5 reads, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the, received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about three main points within verse 5. And the first point would be the word gospel. Um, Paul came to Thessalonica with a clear and straightforward gospel that uh, if you could turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast and the word, that word which I preached to you, unless you be believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains the present. But some have fallen asleep. And then he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So verse 5 in 1 Thessalonians. If we can get back to it. He's saying that he came to you with a gospel that wasn't preached by man, wasn't used with fancy words or persuasion to make you think a certain way. It was like Dad was saying that the gospel came and was convicting you by the Holy Spirit. He came with the simple form of the gospel so that the people thought of it themselves and the Holy Spirit worked in them in order to um, bring about this salvation within them. Um, a very influential, um, arguably a very influential speaker in history was uh, Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was a wicked, evil man, but most historians, if not all, agree that he was a very influential people, which is why he convinced the whole nation of Germany um, to do what they did. He was very convincing, and people, he riled the people up in order to get them to feel a certain way. But by the time they were at the end, Hitler committed suicide and the, uh, his officers were on trial, they were already backing out saying, oh, we were just scared of him. We, were, we, don't, we don't believe in this. We didn't want to do this, but we kind of just did it anyways. And 
they weren't willing to die for what Hitler preached. There was no power, no changing inside out of what Hitler, because really it was an evil, wicked thing that he had done. But the gospel came forth in a simple manner, and it changes from the inside out. And you can see that within the Thessalonians that, um, that they were able to change completely from what they were doing into a new um, work. The next um, word that I like to focus on is the power, the power of the gospel. If you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and, our, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel has changing power in people's lives. You can take um, anyone, I, Hitler, if he became a steadfast Christian, became saved, I believe there, was a, um, there would be a strong change within his life, but he was heavily influenced by the devil and uh, the things that he done. Um, but the, the power of the gospel has the ability to shine the dark, on the darkness in our lives, to bring about an understanding that we are lost, God is our creator, and that we are in need of a savior. Christ's righteousness is revealed within the gospel and that we are soon convicted by the Holy Spirit and changed, um, changed into the Christ followers that um, Paul wants us to be and what Christ wants us to be to ultimately look like God's son. Uh, the next uh, phrase or name really is Holy Spirit. If you could turn with me to uh, finally John 16. John 16. Verses 8 through 11. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is the one, when the gospel is given, does the convicting on the person's heart. There's no words or fancy way we can word the gospel that will really get a person saved. It's just the simple, straightforward truth that cuts through the person's heart and the Holy Spirit really works and convicts them. God, like Dad shared, is the one who does the saving of man, not man itself. And to finish off um, with verse six, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word and much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only convicts, but he also encourages. He 
brings a joy to us that while even we are under affliction, while we're being um, trampled on by the world, he brings this comfort to our lives that we are um, able to rely on God and just have this joy that the world does not have. Um, Paul, when he was, uh, he had a short time in Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church, he was only there for about three to four weeks to maybe four months and heavily preaching the gospel and then switching to heavy doctrine like dad shared. Eventually he had to leave being run out of the city and sent Timothy later on to check up. He found that even with the short time he was there not able to um, carefully lift up the church and watch him and see him grow the uh, Timothy came back and said they're doing very well, and it was is because of the power of the gospel that changed the people's lives, and the Holy Spirit that convicts and teaches the people how to um, how to be about and grow as an assembly, as a church in the early days. So, back to Dad. <clears throat> that was one of the. Key verses here that <clears throat> I want Logan to focus on and to develop his idea and his understanding of how the gospel works and how it uh, <clears throat> changes lives and conversion is, is brought about. That we are in darkness and, and that um, the light of the glorious gospel shines into our hearts and shows us the need for a savior. Shows us that we can't save ourselves, that we have fallen short of God's standard and that the only way to gain God's favor is to accept Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross of Calvary. And that's what these Thessalonian believers did. Many of them came from different walks of life. Many of them, some of them were Jews. Some of them uh, uh, perhaps might have been atheists. Some of them uh, practiced idolatry, as we'll find out in verse 9. But the, the amazing thing is that the change and the power that the gospel had on their life is that they turned around and changed. That it's not just a, a faith believing in something, but it's a faith believing in something, and you act on that faith, and you live that faith out, and you continue on, and you make that the goal. And these believers were such uh, um, followers of Jesus Christ, that in verse 6 it says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, that you became examples, so that word, the original, basically means models to all of Macedonian and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. You know, one of the things in verse 4, it says, Knowing, beloved brother, in your election by God. How does Apostle Paul know that these individuals are true Christians. What do they? Can, is it just by mere confession that they say they're followers of Jesus Christ? He can see the work and the effectiveness of the gospel in their life, and how the Holy Spirit has come in, and they take the Word of God serious. They take their the walk with the Lord serious. That they're no longer walking in their old manner of life of fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, but they're all about. Um, the church and about loving one another and about sharing the gospel 
so much so that this testimony has resounded throughout all the surrounded churches. They could turn around and say, man, have you seen what's going on in Thessalonica? Man, these believers are getting uh, persecuted. They're going through such turmoil. They're, they're, they're under the gun. They're dragging these guys into to, to prison. But they're remaining steadfast. They're an example. They're a model for all the other churches to look on. And here, these are young believers. These aren't people that are mature in the faith, have been saved for 10, 15, 20 years. These are believers that their work of faith is that they believe the word of God. And they don't care what the, count, the, the cost is. They don't care what persecution comes. They don't care about anything but serving God and living for him and resting in the finished work of Christ. And that one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and take them home. And at that moment, that's when the suffering, that's when the persecution is going to stop. But until that day, they keep going on. How is our testimony here at Claremont? How does all the other assemblies view us? What do they say? Would they say we're characterized by these three things of the work of faith, of a labor of love, and a patience of hope? Are we a testimony? Are we an example? Are we an, a model that other, other assemblies can look at and go, man, we, we want to follow that assembly? Or do we represent legalism? Do we represent contentions? Do we represent uh, 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 internal fighting? Or do they look at us and go, man, that's an assembly that, that, that's serving the Lord. That's an assembly that's on fire for the Lord. That's an assembly that is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing people come to a saving knowledge of him. What is our testimony? Because the testimony of this church was that, that resounded out, that was a testimony that they were followers of the Lord and they followed Paul's word. And it resounded out, and it was an encouragement to all those that are around. Philippi over there could see him. Berea could see him. All the way down in Athens, in Corinth, and the believers, and as the word follows, it's contagious. Is this assembly of contagious believers to be around, that when you come here, you want to live your life for the Lord? Or is it one you can come and fit in and continue your worldly life? ways. This was a unique assembly that was on fire for Jesus Christ. And they had a passion and they had a desire to live for him. And these believers were being persecuted. So much so that they actually would think later on that they entered into the tribulational period. That they must have missed the rapture or something. This is how bad they're being persecuted. And here we go to our workplace, we go out there, and we have it so easy, yet we complain and we grumble. We are like those spoiled, I don't want to say the word, but anyways, um, the person that's well-fed and that sits there in their comfort zone. We have so much head knowledge. I don't think the assemblies today are in lacking need of knowledge. I'll be honest with you. This is good, and we go over the word of God because it energizes us and encourages us. But we know more about the word of God than this church did. We have more up here 
than, than they know at this particular time. These believers, as you're going to see, they were confused about certain things. But these were living the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were living in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were making a difference. And Paul and Timothy and Silas would make such a difference that the, the uh, Jews that brought him in, that brought in Jason and the other brother, and they couldn't find Paul, and then said, these are the individuals that have, have turned the world upside down. That's a compliment, yet they meant it as a, as a negative thing. Are we turning the world upside down? Are we in our comfort zones? I mentioned this morning, we talked about a little bit, have we lost the idea of the imminent return of Jesus Christ that he could come back at any moment? Are we living in light of that? Are we living with that conscious mind set of I got to do what I can for the Lord today because I don't have tomorrow? As well, if there's anyone here that is not saved, there is no guarantee for tomorrow for salvation. Salvation is offered right here, right now. The Lord Jesus can come back right now and it's over. In my line of work, you see people get killed all the time from car accidents to whatever it might be, a simple heart attack. God offers salvation right now. And those of you that are not saved, you have to accept the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ today for tomorrow is not guaranteed. The scripture says today is a day of salvation. Those of you that, that are believers, today is a day to serve. Let's stop putting off tomorrow we can do today. Let's stop building our homes, these precious homes that are going to perish, that are going to burn down. Let's build the house of God. Let's build stuff that's going to last for eternity. And this is what they were doing, is, is they were going forth in power and living a testimony, an example, that their faith has gone out. Look at verse 9 and what is resounding. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, everybody's trusting in something. Everybody has faith in something. Death is not a mystery to us. We go out there, there's no one out there that's going to say, I'm never going to die. If they do, then they're actually a very ignorant, foolish person. But and they're not in their right mind. But the, the, the commonality within humanity is that everybody is going to die. Everyone's going to face death. And the question is, is what are you trusting in once you pass that threshold of life into death? What are you relying on? What are you trusting in? You see, everyone in the world has some kind of system, some kind of belief, some kind of, uh, of, of understanding whether it's the atheist who thinks he's going to go back to the dust of the earth and just, that's it, life's over. Or it's someone that thinks there's a system of good and, and bad balances that somehow God's going to work it out. Or a system of purgatory or a system of, of some type of salvation that I can work myself through to appease some living God. You can look at every religion out there. Every religion has some way to appease God and to get right with him. Only Christianity is the one that says, you can't. So the Son of God comes down and takes care of it on the cross of Calvary and now says, it's all finished, it's all done. Now receive the free gift of salvation. 
And it's offered to all. And see, the, the Thessalonian believers were wrestling with this, and everybody had an understanding. When Paul came and said, Jesus paid it all, the Messiah came. He died on the cross for your sins. He paid it all. And now you can have the forgiveness of sins, be reconciled back to God, be a child of God, live a life pleasing to him, a life with purpose. And guess what? One day, his, the son, the Lord Jesus, is going to come back and take you home to be with him forever and ever and ever. These unbelievers in Thessalonica said, I believe that. And they took their faith and they took their trust in everything they had and they put it in the Lord Jesus Christ in that finished work of cross. And they said, I'm no longer going to serve idols. I'm no longer going to bow and pray to these false gods and these false religions and everything else around. I'm going to live for the true and living God because all this other stuff is nonsense. There's only one God. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. Salvation is very narrow and very specific, and it's not because I or anyone here wants to make it narrow and specific. It's because the Lord Jesus Christ and God himself said this is the only way. There's no other way. And it's such a, a, a specific way, and the only one that can pay for your sins is my son. Therefore, I'm going to send my son, and I'm going to pour out all your judgment for your sins on my son. And the free gift of salvation that's offered out to you is a free gift that all you have to do is receive by faith. To have that moment in time in your life where you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and turn from idols and stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in false religions and start trusting in false gods. And trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only paid for your sins, but he rose from the grave three days later and conquered sin and death and is victorious. This is the life and this is the true life to live. And when these Thessalonians heard this, they turned and there was no turning back. They went straight ahead and they're living for the true God. And they're waiting for him to come back. They're looking for him that one day the cry is going to come out and they would go home to be with their Savior if they didn't die beforehand. What a tremendous testimony these believers have in this assembly here, this simple assembly in Thessalonica, that they turn from idols to serve the true and living God. And their testimony was so great in their conversion that it sounded out to everybody. It echoed out. And I'll tell you what, when you're on fire for the Lord and you're going and doing things for him, it's going to, people are going to see it, and it's contagious. And that's how we got to live our life, a life lived for the living and true God and waiting for the Son in light that any minute now the Lord Jesus Christ can return and take us home. Justin will pick up chapter 2 next week, and we'll continue on, and hopefully we got an introduction, continue to study and to look at it, and we'll uh, pick it up uh, next week. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God and Father, we just thank you so much for Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for our salvation in him. That Father, our election is secure in him. And that we are truly loved and chosen by you. And Lord, we thank you for every believer here, Father. We see the way the world is going and we see persecution is around the corner. Trials and tribulation. Father, sexual immorality is on the rise. 
Father, perversion. Father, help us stand firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ and help us be a testimony in, our, in the workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and everywhere we go, that they'll see we are followers of Jesus Christ. And Father, may this assembly grow and abound in your love and in your grace and be a testimony and a model to all that when they look at us, Father, they will say those believers truly love one another. Those believers truly love one another and serve one another. <clears throat> that we will be a testimony and a light, Father, but genuine and living for you. And Father, may we be conscientious of the imminent return of Christ that any minute you can call us home to be with you. And we look forward to that day. But for every day and every breath you give us on this earth, Father, may we live and serve you and make a difference for eternity. In his name we pray. Amen.